Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector, a podcast about speedy motorbikes. On today's episode, we have another guest. So I'm not even going to ask Bono how he's doing and Josh will be here at some point. But let's just get to the guest. Ladies and gentlemen, you know this person from her commentary work in multiple series. You can hear her call out the podium places at the end of the races. The other half of the Last on the Breaks podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Fran Wild. I might be the only applause, but that was a hell of an intro. That was glorious. And I even pulled out a prop mic for that. (laughs) (laughs) Loved it. I don't think anyone's been that excited to announce my presence before in the history of my life. I think the day I was born, they were more low key than that. Yeah, so we're honored to have you here. Uh, it's such a blast. You know, we've been chatting for almost half an hour now. Oh my god, just really? off pod. Yeah, really. yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it's really an honor to have you here. So thank you for agreeing to come to our <laughs> goofy little podcast. No, thanks for asking me. It's always a pleasure. I'm sorry that I left you on red for like a month or however long it was. <laughs> um, as we'll maybe get into, I do do a lot of random things in my job. Um, and then when we have like back-to-back events and obviously Texas and everything else with the extra mm-hmm. travel, I'm just, you know, I'm sorry. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it starts to get to the point of rude and then you're like, oh no. That's no, completely <laughs> understandable. Yeah, so uh, we're going to start off with uh, some quick fire questions. So like we said, these are not, you know, you don't have to go into too much. They're really simple Um First one, it will go back and forth between Bono and I. Uh, first one is one that you ask, what track not currently on the MotoGP calendar would you like to see MotoGP go to? Um, we don't specify, but I immediately wanted to specify like the standard non-COVID affected calendar, of course, because then Phillip Island yeah. will remain. Um, I'm going to choose quite a predictable and annoying answer, which is Laguna Seca. Um, Ooh, completely really? understand for the obviously the track is not really in a position to be able to safely host MotoGP as it is now completely right. understand that decision but I was lucky enough the first year that I worked for Dorna I did the first sort of eight months in World Superbike and one of those events was Laguna because they mm. still were going there and just selfishly for how great it is to go to the place, um, which I realize is like the worst non-purist answer because it should be about track action and the quality of the racing. <laughs> but um, yeah, Laguna, I would love to to go back to for those reasons. Like Monterey and all up there is just so nice. I'm not going to okay. lie, Fran. I was expecting Spa with your name. Obviously, well, your username. I was like, Spa, Spa. Spa. Spa is one of the top two racetracks in the world. But I feel like the majesty of Eau Rouge, and nobody yell at me, I'm just going to call it Eau Rouge because that's what everyone calls that's it. That's what I do. It's not the official name. Um, but it's the, the incredible sight of that with like an F1 car with the downforce is quite mm. different to watching bikes up there. And it looks like it would be an awesome experience to ride that on a bike. And it's pretty cool, but it's a bit of a different experience i feel watching yeah. two wheels versus four there and four is where it really shines much like phillip island 
when you put two world motorsport around Phillip Island, it's like the greatest spectacle in the world. So, you know, I feel like on a, in a car around Phillip Island be a bit of a different, bit of a different show. Yeah. The uh, uh, GT World Australia goes around there and I've watched some of those races. It's like, this could be better. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I don't know, it's just the greatest track for everything about it on track and off. But I can't imagine doing a car race around there and being like, this is the same amount of thrill. So, right you know it's not <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah on from that if you could change one rule or regulation in gp what would it be, Better be so again it, it doesn't have to be necessarily because you've you've picked the track based on like a personal connection so i suppose the rule wouldn't necessarily have to be an on-track thing it could be you know more more riders in teams it could be anything on track off that's track, interesting whatever. okay yeah that's helped uh, make my mind up i would make a rule that every manufacturer has to have a satellite team with a minimum of two more bikes nice. i think because basically because i would love to see two more suzuki's on the grid yep jo so, josh josh would yeah. love that <laughs> yes yeah, that's, a Suzuki a, fan, that's an easy so. one <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Next one, and I think we know the answer to this. Favorite football club? Oh no! Like British? Okay, it's not British. I'm sorry. <laughs> you mean football? Football? What I would yes. call football, not what yes. you would call football. No, I don't even call that football. I call it NFL. Okay. And um. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I know better. Really, I don't really have a team, to be honest. I'm not very, I mean, I'd give, I follow the English national team because I okay. like bigger competitions. Um, and I'm very sorry to everyone who will be utterly betrayed. Used to support Germany in those until the current crop of mm. players who I actually feel like are a better representation of what I would like England to be. Uh, but as an actual team, I don't know. I'd really struggle. I'm, I'm really annoyingly such a stereotype with that where I'll kind of like a player and then follow them more or like a manager rather than a team I don't have a genuine tribal kind of connection to a team the only team I've ever seen live though to be fair is Barca which of course is where I live so right. that was cool going to Camp Nou was cool um but yeah just the English national squad really that's fun and as we report the podcast they are currently 1-1 against Hungary so there you go Live updates from Red Sector. Yep. Um, kind of on from what we were talking about before we got into recording, in the, I mean, you can explain this yourself, but the question is four or two wheels. And I'm referring to like you saying how you got into motorsport and what you originally follow. And you still, you still follow F1 now, yeah, don't yeah. you? Of course. Um, so yeah, four, I mean, you work in two wheels, but you were brought up with four. So I'd say definitely two. Like there was, there was a point before I started because I did languages at uni and it wasn't particularly with a career in motorsport in mind. It's mm -hmm. something that I loved, but I think no, not in a bad way, but I think my like all of my secondary education and like my parents and my upbringing, none of it was like, well, this is a sensible, normal thing to do. It was like, well, of course, that'll just be your interest. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have to like choose a real job. Uh, and not in like the kind of strict way that sounds. It just hadn't fully occurred to me um, that you could actually just do this as a job and that maybe yep. 
I'd be actually fairly competitive candidate to do what I wanted to do in those kind of things. So at that point already, I did already go for two wheels. Um, so certainly at the moment, two wheels has my heart. There's something extra special in it. There's been a couple of moments this season, especially where F1 has spiked, spiked mm-hmm. the heart rate again, back up to the levels that it used to. But at the moment, no, for sure, <laughs> two wheels is like a, a special, a special thing for me. That sounds okay. so basic. Like it's, it's got something extra to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on from that, uh, this is more of a personal preference and maybe might show your age a little. Moto 3 or 125? <laughs> um, bit of a difficult time period to ask that in. Certainly based on, based on the Moto 3 race we had at Assen this year, where there was a smaller group of them, the fast mm-hmm. guys were... Darren Binder's aggressive, but certainly, in my opinion, not over a line into being unsafe. He's just an aggressive rider. The rest of them, always pretty clean. And the show that they put on then was the best of Moto3. And I really, really enjoyed that race. And that's what I would go for. Obviously, at the moment, we have some well-publicized incidents recently. Mm. Um, and Dennis, currently, Dennis Anju, obviously, had that race ban and things that they're trying to kind of make safety a really I don't want to say like make it a priority as though it wasn't before but certainly very directly address some of the things that we've seen at times this year and last year but I think yeah if you take Aston as a showcase of the best of modern Moto3 I'd go for Moto3 okay yeah um completely away from anything to do with racing <laughs> this is this is Matt's gotta change it of, up of Coke or Pepsi so I mean I don't think there'll be a detailed answer on that Coke every time. Yes. Diet Coke. Diet Coke for me. Um, but yeah, Coke every time. Pepsi nice. just tastes weird. It's not natural. Mm-hmm. I think it says a lot how Matt finds that the most impressionable answer. <laughs> right. You can learn a lot from somebody by what that answer is. <laughs> yeah, I uh yeah, I can't take like I'll take Pepsi if I have to. Mm-hmm. But it'll be after, like, I'll go for Coke, and then if they're like, it's Pepsi, is that okay? Then I might ask if they have a different option, and then if the answer's <laughs> still no, I'll be like, right, I'll take the Pepsi, fine. First world problems, so. eh? I know, right? See, for <laughs> me, it's usually like, a Coke or Pepsi? Well, we have Pepsi. Give me a Mountain Dew. Yeah, these are the things. Yep. These are the th- sometimes you just got to just cut your losses on the choice altogether. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, two-stroke or four-strokes? Oh, I don't really know. Maybe two. Oh, wow. I think, I don't know. I mean, it depends, doesn't it? Everything has pros and cons. I think mm-hmm. for me, I'm one of those annoying people where it's like, I, ha- I do have slight rose-tinted glasses with some things in Formula One history. Mm-hmm. Um, Like one of my, like my racing heroes, Ayrton Senna, which is obviously quite a while ago. Uh, one of my favorite seasons of any sport ever was 1976 in Formula One. Um, but then I'm conscious that with both sports, people remember the highlights reel and not the fact that there was a minute and six seconds between the like first and third place finishes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think everything's the best it has been in a lot of ways. But I don't know. It's just like a bit different, isn't it? I'll go for, I'll go for two. It's kind of... Not, I wouldn't say similar to Matt's 
answer because Matt went for four stroke, but Matt kind of gave the same sort of description on what you've just said in that the reason he picked four stroke was because of the peak of performance of like how close it is and how, yeah this, yeah. this yep. is the thing it's like it's obviously better now but i don't know if it's like a little bit less exciting face to face if it's just like you and one bike right if you know what i mean i'm thinking yeah. of like specifically i'm kind of thinking of the smell <laughs> yeah a lot, oh, yeah. Maybe. That's what sways a lot of people with the sound or the smell is Literally. a big factor for a mm-hmm. two stroke as opposed to well, i probably i mean both are obviously great Mm. I think my my more emotive question is two or four wheels. Mm, yeah, right. But I also realized I should have muted my exactly, but now I should have muted my WhatsApp chat because now the guys from Dorna are talking about some Fermin Aldiga tweet, and there's all of the reactions coming up on the top, and I'm like, <laughs> I think I know what tweet they're talking about. <laughs> I don't want to know. I've not opened it yet. <laughs> yeah. Anybody listening can go and look at Fermin on the Gear's <laughs> Twitter and his, have a look uh... for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, uh... so link to two stroke or four stroke, uh, not two stroke, four stroke, sorry, Moto 3 or 125 is Moto 2 or 250. Yeah, I might go Very different. Very different, obviously. Moto 3 yeah, and 125 I... are a bit closer, but. I mean, the quote unquote problem that Moto 2 has this year, especially is that one team and two riders are doing such an incredible job. Yeah. And I think it's actually, um, I think maybe it looks from the outside like there's a fundamental problem. Not a fundamental problem, that sounds much too harsh considering my employer. What I mean is that it's built into the rules that there should mm-hmm. be these gaps. But that's absolutely not true. Like the, the category is like the regulations are designed to make it more competitive than ever. The problem mm-hmm. is that Remy and Raul are both so, so quick and that Red Bull KTMIO have just absolutely mastered how to set their bikes up for the riders they have. <laughs> yeah, they're just doing such an incredible job. Like if you look at Mark VDS, obviously another incredible and really decorated team. Mm-hmm. And Sam Lowe's and Augusto Fernandez are incredible riders, but they're still struggling since the start of the year, since that first kind of two, three races. To get back in the same postcode, but that's not the regulations. That's Red Bull KTMIO blowing everyone out of the water. Yeah. But I do love Moto 2 now. I love the sound of the Triumph engines when they all set off at once. Yeah, it's like an opera. Really loud. It's so special. Like because <laughs> Moto GP is almost too loud that it's like you have to slightly, even if you're not meaning to, you can't take the full force of it without reacting in some way or putting your fingers in your mm-hmm. ears or wearing earplugs. Moto 3, obviously, is, you know, not quite the same level of symphony. But Moto 2, it's like, it's loud, but it's like, just feels like a wall of great noise that you can just about take. <laughs> it's a great experience. Right. But um, I don't know, I do like 250s because I do love the uh, the Lorenzo Davi days as well. So I might go 250s <laughs> on those. After okay. all of that love for Moto 2, and it's like, but I'm going to go with 250. <laughs> well, it's basically explaining, it's like, I do love you, Moto 2, but I have this more historical soft spot for, yeah, those kind of yeah. duels back in the day. I say back in the day like it was like 63 or something. It's like, <laughs> not that long ago. <laughs> no, it's weird for me because like half of my life it's been 250s and half of it's been Moto yeah. 2. So I grew mm-hmm. up going to Donington and hearing those 250s and one two, mainly 125s like scream down craner curves and now i'm in a position where 
you see a like 30 pack of moto three bikes it's just one wall of noise that it's not the same as that two stroke if one of them was on their own coming down craner curves you were straight away your ears would like ping up like searching (laughs) for this scream but yeah no I, i do get what you mean like in terms of like back in the day but it does feel like it's been so long because it yeah, feels no, like two minutes sure. ago since they introduced Moto was it Moto Two and then One Two Five and then they introduced Moto Three after, didn't they? Like a year later. Uh, yeah, Moto Two was twenty ten and Moto Three was twenty twelve. Yeah, twenty twelve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It only feels like I don't know. I don't know if it feels that long since that's been introduced, but it doesn't. And I think with Triumph as well, I still feel like that's really new, but it's now pretty established. Like mm. obviously all of the changes mm-hmm. as well, not just the engine. Um. Like it's been a while now, um, and then next year in the CEV they're getting their Triumph engines in the Meta T class there as well. So yeah, hopefully we um, yeah. I mean it's great. Just the sound alone is good enough. But also mm-hmm. the fact that it's made that step a little bit, kind of closer to MotoGP. Relatively speaking, obviously it's not close to MotoGP, um, but I think it allows you to learn different things to you would do in Meta 3 and things that you do need to know before you go into Meta GP, unless, of course, you're Jack Miller. Right. <laughs> Jack Miller doesn't do no intermediate class. <laughs> yeah, so uh, next one on your show, you guys used to ask coffee or tea. We ask hot drinks or iced drinks. Okay. I feel like it's pretty easy coming from living from Derbyshire. I mean, sure. It is, but <laughs> controversially, the answer to the first question would have been coffee. Sorry. And because of my true, true love for black coffee, it's also hot drinks every time. Okay. Just can't. I'm like, I'm just the worst millennial stereotype with coffee. <laughs> and I wish that it was like not as true as it is, but I just can't live. Like, I literally. Even just the first sniff when I've made the first one, and I'm like, oh, really? See, I'm the opposite. I don't, I don't drink coffee or tea, so I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm like the devil to you. <laughs> I don't understand how you people are alive. That's like, what I mean. I... Every time I say this to anybody that has that opinion of like, oh, I cannot live without it, and I'm like, I do live completely. I've not had a cup of yeah. tea for six seven years maybe I don't, I don't understand it just i mean i obviously enjoy drinking it and the taste of it like if you gave me decaf if that was the only yeah. option i'd still enjoy the coffee but just right. the fuel as well like i'm just like i can't <laughs> I really i really do struggle but then yeah maybe i do need to iron it out a little bit like when i got back from i think it was from texas and i thought it was too jet lagged but even then, when I had a little bit of coffee, I was like, oh, it's actually just a caffeine headache and I'm in way too deep. And then <laughs> I was pretty much fine. <laughs> That's, I'm, a, I'm an iced drink guy, iced coffee, iced tea. I mean, they're I, really nice, but if you're going to make me cheese. I'm just always like, even my wife says I'm like a furnace. I'm always hot, so I want cold drinks. And even in like the wintertime, I, I would rather go, you know, grab a Red Bull out of the fridge than to go get a coffee. It's just not, it's not right. All right. <laughs> I, re- I respect that choice as well, though. It's, it's the middle ground of no coffee and tea at all. can't respect yeah, that. Yeah, it's funny. That's, That's the weird one. That's terrible <laughs> life decisions. <laughs> yeah, well, 
just just the next time you have a coffee just know i'm i am what you are within when you don't have one i'm just sitting here like i don't need it i don't need it i don't need it. <laughs> i mean i ultimately i think i fear it so much because i know that i'm fundamentally a weaker person for needing it so much so you you know in a way that, it's that's a deep <laughs> i know this is the thing it's like there's so many of these things that it's like wow i really need to not be this person that's like emotionally invested in a hot beverage but you know here we are and uh you and yeah my boyfriend doesn't drink any caffeinated stuff at all a few lads in the office managed to do similar hours to me and don't drink anything caffeinated i'm like i don't understand how you're walking around but it is the way it is completely away from any hot or ice drinks inline four (laughs) or v4 so basically, you know, I mean, you've said that you'd like to see two more Suzuki's on the grid. So I would. And I do really love the grease and poise and handling of the Suzuki's and the Yamahas. But I feel like probably V4. Yeah, I think a lot of people go for V4 because it's got more of a scream feel to it. Yeah, like that. And just I like the just basically just like screaming it to a stop and then relying basically on being Pecco to get it around the corner as fast as <laughs> Fabio. Um, I, I kind of love that. It's pretty poetic to watch. Um, and obviously just straight line speed is pretty incredible. I mean, it's not like the, uh, the inline fours are exactly, you know, 300 miles an hour slower. <laughs> right. yeah. But I don't know. I think, yeah. And I also kind of love and really I mean I really respect like I said there's just something especially with like Fabio now is in such a rich vein of form with making the bikes just seem like part of him (laughs) absolutely killing it obviously Lorenzo on the Yamaha is a similar kind of vibe Mir when he was especially last year some of the late races when you just get the Mm -hmm. Jaws music and he's just cutting like three or tenths a lap out and it's something really special because it's just like how is this just like brush strokes of such smoothness happening (laughs) but I think I also really respect how like Ducati and KTM although there was a good Matt Oxley interview recently that said it's actually is it 86 degrees it's not 90 for KTM um I just respect the way they're like this is our philosophy and we're going to make it work yeah and then they have. have been very stubborn with that since yeah like I mean, it would have been easy a... to yeah yeah to kind of like just go roll off over of and yeah exactly but i mean they obviously well it's quite clear when they came in it was developed around like the honda sort of bike do you know what i mean like sh- the shape of the honda and whatnot but they have gone in their own way and not really given into the pressure of like the development since ktm came in that Ducati and Honda have both made in a certain direction. They've not, you know, shut their doors off and gone with them. They've sort of said, no, this is this is us and we're sticking with it, which, you know, when you're a V4, I mean, you look at Aprilia, they kind of have taken a bit more of a Ducati line each year. Yeah. But have, I think the last couple of years sort of done their own thing. But with KTM, they very much based it off one bike and then just went completely on their own, which I fully respect. I mean... With Red Bull, they have a lot of funding, but obviously you've still got to make it work. Funding can do so much, but 
you know yeah this is the thing it's like so you can pay all the people but the people that you pay in have to be good at what they're doing because <laughs> you know i mean it's kind of like like red bull f1 team is kind of a good example actually where it's like yeah you've put loads of money in but you've not put loads of money into randomly getting three versions of whatever whatever you've put loads of money into the people that you've taken into the project and that's <laughs> how you've made it successful so you've essentially just like robbed adrian newey and whatever you needed to pay him you've paid him to get him um and obviously it's a bit different with red bull ktm in meta gp and that they've not really done that to the same extent although they've got some great really experienced people in that team um yeah. but they have invested in people who've proven themselves obviously got great ideas the work ethic seems pretty amazing from the outside and they just seem very it's like a very positive kind of vibe and i don't mean positive like smiley smiley it just feels like action is going to happen because there is an objective that's not been achieved yet. Um, I'm a big fan of that. And yeah, the stuff that they've kind of stuck to in their philosophy is pretty great as well. Uh, and obviously it's paying off a lot last year, still pretty good this year, although obviously not quite the same as it was um, for some of 2020. But yeah, it's great. Big fan of that. And Ducati is just Ducati, isn't it? I think there's always going to be something a little bit special about Ducati and Ferrari, no mm-hmm. matter what the rest of the world wants to say. <laughs> oh, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, next one, similar to the uh, Moto2 and Mo- uh, 250, 500cc or 1,000ccs? Probably 1,000s. Just it's like 500 now feels like you're like artificially limiting it. Because you can, you know, you know what I mean? Which is kind of right. silly when I'm like two stroke or four stroke. I'm like all over the place with my logic here. <laughs> it's whatever <laughs> feels right in your heart. My my instinct is, yeah, probably thousands. Probably thousands. Okay. And the final quick fire question. I say quick fire, but yeah. Um, if I in... stop talking and give you a shorter answer, it'd be quick <laughs> yeah. fire. It's, it's, both, it's, it's a two-way street on that front. Um <laughs> Orange sector uh, sectors or red sectors? Red sectors. Correct. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I feel that's like the that only one that's not opinionated. That, yeah, that one there is a correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, I can't guess what it might be. <laughs> yeah, imagine you've been like orange, flat, like blank face, like. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's like orange, personal best. <laughs> yeah. If there'd been a favorite livery question, it probably might have been Repsol Honda or the Marquez Moto 2 Catalina Caixa livery bike because I love orange and black and orange. And oh, I do love the Tectoir now, but it's so orange. I like the black and the orange combo. So that was know, a very was nice bike. The, the Moto 2, yeah. It was, it was so because as well, like by the time he obviously won the championship after like the drama at the end of 2011. Um, by the time I started 2012 on such full power, that livery, it's just like the ultimate like movie villain in the best way. Yeah, like, I, I look at that bike. evil is coming for yeah. you. <laughs> I look at that bike and I just think like every time I look at it, I it's weird because I see that now with Mark on the Repsol. But even on that Moto2 bike, whenever I see pictures of it, I just think how dominant and how scary he was on that bike. Because even if he wasn't winning... He would he would just find pace that he never had all weekend on that Moto yeah, Two bike that everyone incredible. in GP was like, if this kid comes to GP, like you could tell straight away he was going to be something. Yeah, there's 
There's some mm-hmm. great moments from those two seasons. I think one of them's from the end of 2011. I think when he had that grid penalty at oh, Phillip Island. Oh, you mean Island. the one when he smashed into somebody in the back of Phillip Island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rattle Park Willerat, I think. Um, mm. And he started like 38th, I think. Yeah, because the I'm grid like, of Moto2 really is huge. Many? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, were there really that many bikes? Because he was at the back. Um, but yeah, and then just, I think Stefan Brado won or was second. Um, and then he's in Park Ferme, and then just Mark rolls in. Yeah. And it's just one of those moments where it's like, how have you done this? Yeah. Because like, mm-hmm. Stefan Brado's a quality rider. He did a great season that year. Took the World Championship. Yeah. yeah, like impressive stuff. He's obviously... I think he's the only rider to have taken pole in the US in like the last however long Mark's been in MotoGP with that one at Laguna in Mark's rookie MotoGP year as well. He was on the podium there. Like he's, he's a quality rider. I think that might be wrong. Right. to turn around and then just see like, yep, yeah, even from 38, I'm still yeah. here. Um, yeah. And that was when, of course, as well, he'd not had that crash in Sepang and it looked like it was going to go down to the wire in Valencia between the two of them. So. There's some yeah. good moments there. And there's also a great, this is so niche, uh, there's also a great onboard, I think, from Bruno, when I can't remember who it is that you're on board with, but then you're just looking back and there's just 29 and 93. And Ian O'Neill's livery was pretty badass was, that year as well. I've been waiting to like get yeah, the end of this conversation and be like, can like you remember the Ian O'Neill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they just go both just round and it's mm. just like, Bye. I and loved that Ian Oni delivery. Yeah, was, that was pretty oh, badass as well. That was so cool. Especially, yeah. can you remember the 20, let me get this right, I think 2017 pre-season testing livery that uh, Ian Oni wow, with like the adrenaline, like did like the the. Ah, uh, yeah, I think I it. remember. Yeah, that was a yeah. pretty sick livery that year. Yeah. He's had some I could cool talk stuff like all day. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started on oh, liveries because yeah. me and Matt have got a very. In fact, that is going to be my next oh. question. <laughs> That's going to be my next question. What's your opinion on the 2006 Camel Yamaha livery? Because I think it's like it's my favorite livery, like one off. No. Do you not like it? You're on Matt's side. No. I'm sorry. No. My favorite one off livery was the white Ducati that Casey had at oh, Phillip Island. Phillip Island. I can't remember what yeah. year. 2010, I think. Yeah, I think it was a later one for sure. Um, and yeah. that's probably my favorite. And I'm really sorry because, as you can see, I mean, I've got an Alpine Stars hoodie on right now, but all of my clothes are black. My hair is black. My eyeliner is black. <laughs> I have black Tattoos added black. on. <laughs> but there's something about that white bike that was just beautiful. So I just, it's got a special place in my heart there. But I don't know, there's been some there's been some really spectacular liveries, but then there've always been some as well where you're like, oh, why did you do that? Like Yeah. It wasn't the move. But yeah, no, I like that white one. But I don't know, the camel one's all right, but Yeah, no, Matt, Matt always... Dunn liked it. Matt Dunn was on my side. So you're you're on the dark side now. You're on the bad side. Sorry. One for one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, you have to get someone else on now to split the vote. <laughs> oh no, yeah, she... then if that swings in Matt's side, I'm I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because uh, me being as new of a fan as I am, uh, whenever the question got brought up, I'm like, uh, I, the Patronus bike? I like the, <laughs> the black and the silver and the teal with a little bit of red in there. But if I, like, as I've, like, looked at, like, images, it's um, the Austin Powers bike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've just been Googling liveries now. <laughs> Pretty much. 
the yeah, Valencia no. 2003 one. Is that is that the one you're talking about? I think so. It was a Rossi bike. Hmm. It's like old school, old school. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not so old school, probably, if you've been watching. It's kind of like, like, yeah, it's like old school to the point where they started bringing liveries in, sort of old school, because they never really used like to do thing. special liveries. And like yeah. pop culture would actually appear in the MotoGP paddock as well. Yeah. <laughs> With those yeah. kind of things. And not just Italian pop culture, thanks to Valentino, mm. who is, yeah. Uh, a great asset to bring in, in the random stuff like Morbidelli as well with the Spike Lee helmet it's like no mm. one's brought Spike Lee into this panic before like great yeah. job yes <laughs> to be fair, the, there is a lot I mean me being a Valentino fan I'm obviously going to give him high praise but if you actually look at just like even things like the title celebrations they never existed before Rossi, really. Like, oh yeah, no, like it's you know true. I mean? like, like he invented so much, like added yeah. so much extra to the sport. Like I think that's undeniable. Um, I think sometimes people have had a rough ride at times when they've kind of run with that. Because uh, like a few of the Lorenzo celebrations were great as well, mm. but so many people are just set up to dislike it because it's Rossi's rival. Whereas mm-hmm, once, yeah. like, like I'm now fairly like I was a big Lorenzo fan before I got this job not to the point where it's like everyone else needs to get in the bin or anything crazy um but now i'm genuinely 95 percent neutral and the five percent where i'm not will just be like one person's just really extra nice to work with compared to not but basically if someone's behind someone else i'll just cheer for the person that's behind because you want to see the overtake yeah. Yep. Um, so I think now you can look back at some stuff and you're like, no, like neutrally, that was just great. And sometimes people just need to enjoy the fact that it's happening rather than like, oh, I don't like the person who did that or X, Y, Z. You know, right. Pyroball can be fun, but it sometimes it goes a little far. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the reason that people do watch motorsport and well, sport in general, but motorsport is kind of picking a team or a rider and just sticking with them and going through the good and the bad. It's sort of some, that's part of the journey. But obviously you being impartial with the job that you have, it is quite easy, I guess, to sort of pick someone and be like, I do want them to win, but I can't really show that I want them to win. But like to not slip into that character of sort of, you know, going into yeah, a job, wanting Lorenzo to win and being like, you know, I've kind of got to take a step back here and think of the big picture. I mean, it's like <laughs> me. I'm a big Yamaha fan, always have been because of because of Rossi, but mainly like, you know, with Yamaha. And I came out of the Austria race. And as much as I was, you know, sort of mixed emotion with Yamaha, I genuinely came out of that race. Not one part of me was Yamaha based in the opinion of how good I thought it was, because the race itself was such a spectacle that anyone mm-hmm. could be a fan of any team any rider yeah exactly. if you can watch that race and be like no nah, it was rubbish i think you're watching the wrong sport yeah no, 100%. I mean? mm-hmm. that you mean binders win right yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 that's one of the only times where like everyone in the media center has been biased not because <laughs> everyone in the media center suddenly is like yeah we're ktm to the core even though we're wearing whatever whatever shirt but because it's like when someone just has gambled that big mm-hmm. and it's just like, yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> and you yeah. just want that to pay off. I think it's human nature. You yep. want the guy to have gambled big to be the guy who doesn't end yeah. up on the floor and in the heartbreaking yeah, sure. kind of story arc. Um, well, in, yeah, in there, we were all just like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, uh, 
like we were talking F1 earlier, Sochi, you know, with Lando in front yeah, and everyone was exactly. like, you know, come on, you know, just something you want to see other, someone other than like a Mercedes or, you know, Lewis win there. And then, you know, he takes that gamble, stays out and you're like, you know, it, it, I, I was in a uh, uh, discord with F1 fans and I immediately typed in, did anyone watch Austria MotoGP? Okay, yeah. <laughs> and like, nobody got it. And then, yeah, Lando goes off and it's just like, oh, so this is what I could have felt if Brad didn't get like a 17 second <laughs> gap. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That that one was weird because it's like I said, I can't remember who I was talking to about it. It might have been Bertie. And I said, basically, those gambles like Brad's in Austria. Mm-hmm. Technically, he's made the wrong decision. Right, yeah. Because the odds of that happening require so much skill and mm-hmm. a whole lot of luck as well. Like he don't get me wrong, he made that happen. And mm-hmm. the fact that he rolled the dice is a lot of why he was able to make that happen. Like absolutely incredible. Hats off. But it was the wrong decision because oh, the yeah. odds were so low. Mm-hmm. And he made it work, but like the right decision was Peko who Mm -hmm. pitted and then also managed to just push a little bit harder at the right time. And they were really catching him. Obviously, ran out of laps. But this is why I'm like, no, if I was Lando, I'm still going to feel happier if I've made that call to gamble. Because sometimes you've got to do it. You're not in the championship fight. Just gamble it. Like, everyone's going to pit. Just gamble it. But I mean, then it's as also well as that, like a home race for KTM. Like if you're going to gamble anywhere, this is like yep. the stakes were just unbelievable. I can't, I can't conceive of having that much cool under that much pressure. Mm-hmm. Like it's just unbelievable, and just wobbling around as well. Because it's like it's not just like oh I did really well. It's like physics is not set up for you to be able to do that. Yeah. Unless you really get it right. <laughs> like, you've, it's just... you've lost front brakes. Your tires have no grip. Yeah, literally nothing. If you lean too far, you will fall over. Like As well as everything crazy. else. Like, the wheel spin on those tires around mm-hmm. that track. Considering the elevation, like just dropping down into some of those corners and just it's feeling like... like, yeah, the bike's not even slowing down. Like, I just, honestly. yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. That's like a proper... That's one of the few where I made sure I made time to go out because I've not done the podium for a while now. We've had the native speaker announcers back, but I made sure to leave our office and go and stand outside and watch the podium because I was like, this is an extra special race that you need to kind of let it sink in in the moment rather than being like, oh, now I need to do this, this and this. So, <laughs> Would you say with all circumstances kind of chucked into the, the hat with that race, would you say that's the Probably not. I don't know. You tell me. Would you say it's the best or definitely one of the best spectacles you've been a part of since working in Dorna? Like having, you know, you, if you look back at this year, surely as of right now, that's definitely the, the the race you look back on and go, I I worked at that event. You know what I mean? Like that's... Probably. I think there's a couple of other moments where you had the same kind of feeling where it's like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up a little bit, but mm-hmm. for more crazy reasons rather than necessarily positive crazy, like the Argentina Marquez Rossi clash. 
um where like i because i know my main job is like all of the press Mm -hmm. so press releases for many gp and all that stuff like dealing with the stewards these kind of things as well as like the commentary and podcasts and stuff so i was in the media center office with my colleague frenet who's the media manager for the championship with like accreditation and stuff matt dunn had come into the room for some reason and we were watching that moment and they were like as he was getting closer and closer and we were like oh like it's good <laughs> something's gonna yeah. happen here and just the moment when rossi hit the floor and me and matt just looked at each other and it was just like oh my god like it's just one of those moments where it's like you're so aware of the magnitude of it the, what, the thing is i bet for you is is like knowing what's to come like imagine being a fly on the wall in that yamaha garage when mark came around with alberto it's just yeah like that moment is, and we had like a guy who now does a lot of like cd and some of the commentary with me he's done some and does a lot of the website in english from gp.com called elliot that was his first race weekend when he was meant to be writing the race report <laughs> oh wow. and i sent him a message i was like i'll do this one don't worry <laughs> like you do like you can start on like this article reaction whatever because to just throw you straight in with that race would mm -hmm. just like because obviously everyone's i get quite frustrated quite often because everyone has such a cynical view of dawna sometimes mm -hmm. and the reality is just a load of people who really like meta gp working really hard in most situations like it's like you know any kind of conspiracy that goes too far it's like no like what do you want <laughs> um and those kind of situations it's just like you have to write that right because reps or honda have to read that and be satisfied that you've written the truth and yeah. yamaha <laughs> have to read that and be satisfied that you've written the truth because you need a report of exactly what's happened regardless of what your opinion is or what happens after it's purely the most factual version of the story that you can put down in an entertaining way that's meant to be consumed by a fan. It's not meant to be spin or anything too cynical. So it's meant to entertain, be as purely factual as possible, and also make sure that if there's anything that does come later from the stewards, it's not going to contradict anything that you've written. You can't write a slant into an incident before you know. Right. And we see so with that, the scale of that, I was like, I'll do this. Like, this is not a first weekend task. It's just no. cruelty. <laughs> Such cruelty. But yeah, that's one of those moments. But the Austrian one was definitely a pretty special thing where you're like, wow. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. That's going to be one that's just remembered forever and ever and ever. But I think also, I Brad's win at Bruno felt quite special as well. And I promise I'm not a Binder fan girl. Um, <laughs> big fan of him but it's not just because it's him um, I think yeah with obviously the KTM history and then also that was one where I was doing the podium and it's the first one where it had been a native English speaker who won and as mm. I got a little bit more confident in it and wasn't as scared as I had been in Jerez it was like the biggest leap from writing stuff down to yelling stuff to everyone by Brunel I was like no I'm doing here and I've got a little bit more kind of boxing announcer getting a bit more confident and because he understood me like he knew when I started on the first stat he knew he was going to get three stats and then his name you could see he was like tuned into the cadence of it 
and he was just stood there I could see him listening and then he started to walk at the perfect moment and I was like yeah we reached the podium <laughs> nirvana like yeah. everything came together right like Leah who's the Australian who does all of the podium organizing and stuff she, like she didn't need to control anyone push anyone out when they didn't go everything <laughs> was just this perfect moment of like ah, and it all worked so well so I think that just added to it as well it was a pretty good win but yeah no, I don't think like I don't know how anyone can not like Brad Binder really like on track and off like I've met Brad yeah. at Bologna airport before like his parents are lovely Brad's the nicest guy like if you bump into him it's like you've bumped into like a mate do you know what I mean like really nice guy yeah and on track Can't to watch yeah if you if you tune into MotoGP and you want to see somebody go for it dry wet snow mm-hmm. if you like the guy would <laughs> the guy would this literally put on a show at any track any condition he he never backs down kind of yeah like him, he has that philosophy of Jack ktm what you said earlier similar. yeah yeah that's yeah yeah he, it's he like the well my way or no way KTM. but yeah him and jack miller there is that kind of almost i was just thinking about jack like, just and that's not like i love different things about each rider's personality the way they ride or like how they do stuff um sometimes like i love casey stoner being like i don't race like that even if you don't always agree with him, like I love the fact that he has that stance and like has that, like that's part of who he is. Um, but yeah, Brad and Jack just have that kind of, I don't know what it is, I don't know what to call it, but it's yeah, almost like an old school kind of slightly rock star, like, well, full gas and we'll find out, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and just make it work. <laughs> I know what you mean. I don't really know how I'd describe it, but they've just got that aura around them that you kind of know. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you were... If I mean, I know they don't have mirrors on them, but if, if we could talk hypothetically like they had mirrors on them and the conditions go a little bit peak tongue, if you looked in your mirrors and saw either Jack Miller or Brad Binder behind you, they would be the last two people. Even yeah. As weird as it might sound, you'd probably rather have Marquez there because Marquez, as aggressive as he is, would be smart with it. And I'm not saying Brad and Jack aren't, but they are in a position now where going into these last three races... They don't have anything really to lose, so they would definitely mm-hmm. go for it. Whereas yeah, Mark yeah. is sort of trying to build himself into a consistent machine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Right. I think, yeah, that's that's pretty more true at the moment. I think unless you're Pecco, in which case seeing Jack in your mirrors is your dream at the moment. Yeah. Because they seem to have manufactured a very genuine dynamic at the moment within Ducati. Um, just the way the first part of the season's played out and where they are in points, like it seems, who knows whether it will change again next year, if it will reset. Um, you know, I'm sure there's no like clause been added where it's like, you have to let Peko go now. But it's like, well, no, we're genuinely a team. And this guy currently has more points than me. So let's let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's interesting because it's, Jack's been a very interesting rider this year, I think, in his comments off track, comparing him to who he was in Moto3 in 2014, when yeah, his comments yeah. off track were always like on the rev limiter, not necessarily always in a bad way or even in a wrong way. But the person who talks now off track, it's like, wow, this is real wise shit straight out, mm-hmm. straight away. As soon as he's asked anything, it's just like, like with the the 
thing in Barcelona is like riders can't be trusted to make those decisions about safety on track. And it's just right. like straight away, just like he's, I don't know, he's like, you can tell he's been here a few years now in the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember Jack with the uh, the classic mullet in Moto Three, <laughs> like very <laughs> kind of like rough diamond, very rough diamond is I think how everyone saw Jack. Like, you knew he was always <laughs> going to progress from Moto Three, but he definitely needed, and I think he knows like getting through the paddock and whatnot. Even when he made that jump, he got massively criticised for it, but sort of just took it on the chin and was like, you know, I, I know I'm making a big jump and. You know, obviously got only... took under the wing by Cal and people like that, but he's st- credit to the man. He's still, you know, he's stuck by it and he he he's done it, hasn't he? He's he's made it to yeah, one of the most he's become a meta GP race winner. Um, yeah, and, and not he's in a factory like the team. Aston one, yes, of course. That was a win. And every <laughs> single win is a real win because everyone goes out at a certain point and at the end someone wins. And unless there's been some genuinely mental thing where one team's gone out and literally hit everyone else off with a broomstick from pit wall, every <laughs> single time someone wins a race, it's a genuine win and nothing's worth mm-hmm. more or worth less. But of course, it's a different situation winning that restarted race in the wet at Assen to it is when you just smoke everyone at Hareth when it's perfectly dry. And you're at a track where really you shouldn't be going that quick on the machinery that you're on. Yeah, Although obviously, obviously we've seen since that the bike's so much better. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, I did cry a little bit inside when Jerez came around <laughs> and Fabio oh. pulled over with his arm. But at the, at the yeah. same time, at the same time, if I remember like doing the podcast and Matt will back me up here, I didn't take anything away from Jack or Pecco because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, if Fabio was to crash, if Fabio was to slow down or whatever, you've got to be there to pick up the pieces. And even if they'd have finished second and third, that is unreal on the bike that they're on at that track. Mm -hmm. Considering you go back for like the last 10 years since Stoner's been on it, that bike at Jerez has never, ever been that quick in terms of comparison to everybody Mm -hmm. else. Like Lorenzo almost made it that quick. But didn't. But he did get a podium, like, yeah, he got a podium, but to get both Ducatis like on that yeah, yeah, kind of pace, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Like, when it's not other than the... Fabio, yeah, other than yeah. Fabio, they were the quickest. Which on race day, mm-hmm. Ducati, both Ducatis quicker than do you know what I mean? Like, other Yamahas, Suzuki's, yeah, it's, it's pretty like, amazing what? what they've done with that bike, and obviously, Echo corner speed riding style, big talking point. It just seemed to be a pretty I don't know what to call it, a special relationship. Um, that, mm. <laughs> that oh, no, it is. I, yeah, you're but right. Obviously, Jack has been right there as well. Um, so it is obviously the bike is better in all of the ways where it used to suffer so much, like visibly. It's now really genuinely so competitive everywhere, and it's really great to see. And then, yeah, Paco just uh, – I almost said Paco then. That's a very different rider. Paco. <laughs> Um, Pekka just, uh, yeah, just seems to find that little bit of extra magic at the moment, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, at the beginning we mentioned, you know, some of the stuff you do around the paddock and even you said about you do all the, most of the media, what, what all do you do and how did you get to where you are in the paddock? I mean, I don't know how did I 
I mean, the, the true story... <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, it's really simple in a way, which is that I applied for the job, kind of essentially. Uh, I applied for the job. I had a CV that made me a good enough person to interview. And then I obviously interviewed quite well. And then I got the job. But that's the really short version. And I don't know, I have a lot of thoughts around this now when I see so many people sending their CVs. And there are things where it's just obviously like, don't that. Like people, like I've talked about F1 and my love of it here. If you were interviewing me from a company that does not do Formula One, I'm not going to talk about that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to focus on the thing that we're here to talk about solely. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially, like I said, I did languages at university. I did Spanish and German. Um, and then eventually I did my dissertation, I think, I don't know how, because I went to St. Andrews, which is like super posh, horror, obviously not really my personality type. But I was like, Scotland, fees are cheap, degree's good, I'm going to go for it. Uh, somehow convinced the Spanish department of Scotland's oldest university to let me talk about MotoGP and my dissertation. Um, and I was like, well, I've now got something on paper that's actually like towards motorsport. Right. And then I basically just kind of thought, well, I can either try and do this as a career or I cannot try and by definition definitely fail um so I've met a couple of people who are fans of it through like Twitter and obviously classic like places you end up talking to fellow fans of the sport mm -hmm. um and then went to I think it was Mizano 2015 um and then from there I was like I'm just gonna drive to Spain and I'm gonna try my best so I moved to Spain this is obviously pre-Brexit, so you could do that. You could just rock up in your car. Yeah. But hello, I'd like to live here. Um, and then teaching English for the first couple of months. And then the job came up to be World Superbike Journalist with Dorna. Um, and one of the people that I met, really harsh, I've not mentioned him yet, was Matt Dunn. Uh, and done some kind of race reports and stuff with the website that he was doing at the time, Paddock Chatter. I don't know if he shouted that out when yep. he was on with yes, you guys. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, so, yeah, did a couple of things with him, met him, and then he got the job at Dorna and was already working there when I moved to Spain and then said, there's this job in World Superbike. Um, and so, so he's like, send your CV to this person um, and then, you know, see if they'd be interested. Oh no, I've got percent phone battery. I might have to go and get a charger. Um, <laughs> but so I sent my CV, and then about four minutes later, I got an email back saying, "Would you like an interview on this day at this time?" And I was like, "Well, that was quite quick." So I'm going to try and be optimistic, <laughs> and then went to the interview. Really hilariously, you know the guy in Park Ferme who moves the riders around. He's yeah, called Ignazi. I follow, yeah, I follow him on Instagram. Yeah. He's, he's my direct boss. He's the communications director. Okay. Given that his, the most public part of his job is telling the riders the correct place to go on television, when I got in the lift at Dorne, he told me to go to the wrong floor for my <laughs> interview, which will That's always brilliant. make me laugh. <laughs> um, like now, obviously, I know that he's like, his role is a lot bigger than being the guy directing people on TV, but it's pretty, yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, yeah, did the interview. Obviously, the fact that I could speak Spanish, a little bit of Italian and languages helped a lot. And then 
yeah, I, I think I did talk quite a good game about World Superbike because it was not my biggest passion, as I said it was. Right. Um, and then we did a trial to get the job where I had to write a press release in, I think it was an hour. And I did that. And then I had the most agonizing week ever waiting to see if I got the job. And I did. And then the MetaGP counterpart left, who now works in the paddock elsewhere. So I moved to MetaGP and then just said, yes, or can I try this to as many things as possible, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the first time I ever did commentary was with Harry Lloyd, who commented on Superbike before and used to do the CV, uh, now works for Honda. And I think I spoke at least four times in four hours. And it was the worst debut at anything I've ever had trying anything new in my life. Just to nerves. the point where just literally the worst. Yeah, I was like, I had the worst case of imposter syndrome. I didn't say a word. I think every time I spoke, one of them was to literally say hello, that I was like <laughs> present on the broadcast. And then the others were all like short, direct answers to Harry's questions. Um, and then the rest of it was I went to Park Fermi and I asked the question there. That was fine. Didn't have too much stress there. Straight back in the commentary box, mute again. Absolutely nada. <laughs> and I was like, so if it was quite a wounding experience because I was like, I know that I could have not done the greatest job ever, but certainly spoken a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so then the next time there was something else I said to the boss who was coordinating it at the time um please can I try again because I feel like at least I'll just ignore the nerves and do my best and if you then listen to it and you're like no sorry it's not for you absolutely fine but please do not judge me on four sentences terrified at Portimao at the end of 2016 and so I did it again and then yeah so I'm doing the website and the odd little bit of commentary and then move to the communications department and do all of the press for everything except Superbike, I think. So MetaGP, MetaE, British, Northern, Asia, coordinate the stuff for the SEV. Is there something else I've missed? Oh, and the mini GP now is the new one. So I do all of the, the press releases and stuff for that. Um, do you do Red Bull Rockies too? No, that's the no. other one. I've done some commentary for them this year, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Yes, um, but no, not the not. I know. Sorry, that's the one. That's one of the series where Red Bull does a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas everything else, even the British Talent Cup, which obviously now is a joint project between Dorna and MSVR, it's still all of the press, the website, social media, and stuff is Dorna that does it so it's a little bit of a different split there but yeah it's um I don't know it's weird because like everyone thinks oh in the podcast the podcast we can also partly thank Harry Lloyd for because it was originally him that was pestering to start a MotoGP podcast and then he left and then I took up the pestering mantle and I, I made an entire fake front page of a magazine I think 
with Murder GP podcast on it and then wrote little fake speech bubble reviews about how amazing it was <laughs> and left it on the, the head of Conant's desk. <laughs> and he was like eventually worn down. I was like, okay, hey, we can try it. We can try it. So um, yeah, and by that point, me and Matt obviously both arrived at the company at similar times, him a little bit before, mm-hmm. both done quite different things. Both obviously wanted to do more and diversify and kind of, not move up in like okay now I want to be in charge of this but like move make sure there's like progression and you're doing something fresh and new rather than kind of being static um so yeah I can't really remember how it became me and him but um but yeah it's it was our thing and now we coordinate most of that between ourselves as well it's quite they're quite hands-off with that in terms of guests and how we approach it which reminds me I do need to deal with that in the morning and send the web guys the stuff for this week's, which is Dwan Mir. So going off of what you do in the paddock, you are one of only a few women who are seen in a podcast or a yeah, podcast paddock. <laughs> I mean, you have <laughs> press officers, you have uh, team members, but you don't, you see them, but you don't really hear from them. I mean, it's pretty much you, Amy Reynolds. Uh, I can think of Vanessa Guerrera, uh, Dominica Granova, I think her name is. She does the Red Bull Rookie stuff. How does it feel to know that you know, you're there and like you are being seen? It's a, that's one of those ones, like with Scott Redding in my head, his real name is Redding Power. And Dominica is the same. Her real name in my head is her Instagram handle. So it's like, yeah, Dominica rides. <laughs> like, that's not her name. <laughs> um, I don't know. This is a strange and interesting question because there are so many women in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, certainly on the content side, it must be equal, if not weighted in favor of women, I think. There's a lot of people and also women in like positions of serious authority as well within the TV marketing kind of section and also in the Madrid office and Barcelona. Um, so it's kind of difficult sometimes to separate the visible from the invisible, not in a mm-hmm. negative way, but the kind of yeah front of house behind the scenes kind of stuff. But it is pretty cool. Um, obviously, like you said, like the biggest um profile we had at Dorna um was Amy Reynolds I want to say Dargan but it's not it's Reynolds now uh, <laughs> it's Amy who's been there for a pretty long time now doing a great job front of camera kind of becoming part of the sport um and then sometimes when like obviously with maternity leave it's like someone needs to replace her and then people are like well it has to be a girl and it's like but there isn't a girl and it's not (laughs) it's because like the girl is managing this and the girl is doing this it's not because every single person who is elsewhere in the company is not female Mm -hmm. it's because you can't just use that as the only criteria but then I do think obviously it's important to have representation in like Mm -hmm. everything um it's like the stupidest example I can think of is Buffy the Vampire Slayer because it's like, I was like, oh, well, representation, 
like has it actually made that much of a difference for me in life in general and it's then like well yeah because until I was like 14 I didn't particularly realize that sexism was a thing because my mm-hmm. favorite show when I was a kid was like well it's completely normal that the central character kicks people's ass and saves the world and is like a blonde random American girl Right, like that was completely normal, <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh, that wasn't normal for everyone else, though." Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that's great because it teaches you to kind of never put yourself as not the victim necessarily, but it never you never put yourself on the back foot automatically. But in mm-hmm. some ways, it's bad because you then have to look a lot harder sometimes and think a little bit harder about certain things and realize like there are issues in some places in life and just because I haven't experienced those doesn't mean they don't exist and maybe some of my behavior by not having realized this was an issue has made it worse for other people as well um but it's pretty cool I think it's yeah I do find it's an irony quite a lot because if I'm talking to anyone in our company up to like Carmelo and George Vegas, when we've done some of the press conferences around mini GP and other things, I never feel like there's any sexism in anything of my environment, really, mm-hmm. except on the internet when people react. Yep. And then uh. it's kind of funny because you have this kind of dichotomy of certain people being like we need more representation visibly in the paddock we need more people like Amy maybe more people like me and it's like yeah but we have a lot of us promise like we can always do better and there's definitely more that we can do and that is super important as well for like younger kids who should not think of this as a boy thing this is a girl thing and it should be an open door to everyone but then if you like, when have you ever felt bad because of like someone's assumed you don't know anything because you're a girl? It's never been at work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of positives to take from that. But I don't know. I think that was also partly maybe why I was so terrified to speak on my glorious Portamount 2016 debut. Um, because it isn't something that you hear so much. Um, now you have a lot more I think like Natalie Pinkham in F1 Rosanna Tennant they've done a lot mm-hmm. more Amy obviously great but I would never I could never do pit lane reporting like she's done I just I'm still like huh it's like a <laughs> really impressive stuff to just do that for that amount of time with that amount of competitors <laughs> I'm like I can't take that on um but like yeah, Susie Perry yeah. as well. Susie Perry is obviously yeah, exactly. another figure in, you know, she's she's been in, in and out of the paddock for years. And it's like... I think that's where I'm showing my way that I kind of never watched British stuff and came into it from very Spanish sides. Because, yes, yeah, sorry, Susie. Also, Susie, obviously quite emblematic in the UK of, like, bike racing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's a strange question. I think it's a positive... But I also do think it's important that you can't be like, okay, we need to tick these boxes and yeah. that's our shopping list of who we need to hire because it needs to be before that. It's like, it's like with female riders, it's the same. 
what you need to have is an equal number of boys and girls starting to ride when they're three, four, five years old. And then by the time you go through whittling down people who don't want to do it anymore, people who aren't very good, people who don't have the right dedication, all of this to the kids who are then racing in like the road to MotoGP programs, then you will have a much more even spread. But now with a lot of motorsport, you're still going to have like one girl to 15 guys. So there's a lot less chance that one girl is going to be the new Mark Marquez if it's one to 15 ratio. (laughs) Yeah, I I just think it's really good. I mean, in general, I just think if there's equal opportunity there for whoever it is, whether it be, you know, sex, gender, like whatever you want to class it as or race or whatever background you come from. I don't think like I agree with you that it shouldn't just be a a box ticking system. But Mm -hmm. on the same thing with what you were saying with like from your perspective, it's probably more in favor of women because internally through Dorna, you know who works there, who doesn't. But on our side of the fence, yeah, it's, you know, it's easy for us to say, we're, you know, why why isn't there more women in general? But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I think Matt can speak on this more so having a daughter. And obviously, like, you know, I, I have two sisters and whatnot, so I'm, you know, more than aware of that side of things in terms of their more opinion. More aware on. that women exist. <laughs> yeah, more aware that women exist, but more, more, more so what I'm saying is like, you know, knowing that in certain areas, whether it be in motorsport or not, the opportunity isn't so much there for women as it is for men. You know, in, in other sports, such as like football, it's becoming more prominent now, but in past years it hasn't. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like, I just think it's really good in general to sort of, I, I mean, I interact with people on Twitter and whatnot that are, my sort of age, you know, women supporters of MotoGP and see women on our side of the fence presenting GP. And that in itself is like a, you know, sort of like a door that's opened there that's like a woman can do it. Do you know what I mean? As It's all right on your side yeah, of the fence being think... like, no, no, you can, guys, you can. Like there's loads of us, <laughs> but everyone's like, where? Do you know what I mean? This is the thing, and this is why it's so important, like with Mark's win at Cota, which obviously Germany was an incredible headline because it's like Germany is the first one back after, what was it, 481 days, 422? One of those numbers. I don't know which one's the relevant one. Uh, Like crazy milestone in his career. But Cota as well, because it's like, I don't know, there's more to that event in some ways because of how he's made it his own because it's since it joined the calendar that it's been his kind of race. And then to put Jenny Anderson on the podium from Ripsaw Honda, I think those (laughs) things are really cool. Because it's like, no, this is, there's no extra anything behind this. Like, this woman has earned her space within one of the greatest teams of all time in motorcycle racing to work for, you could argue, the greatest rider of all time, and that's just a fact, but it's a fact that unless you point it out, you're not going to go in the garage and be like, what do you do? Like, you're yeah. not going to get that on a normal broadcast unless people like, you know, the commentators and like hit lane reporters and things kind of point it out or yeah. you send her on the podium. And it's great because it's like, it's a perfectly normal, genuine reward for being an integral part of the team that won that race. But it's also, yeah, representing and showing 
who is in that team that won the race, which I think is really important. Yeah, yeah I was going to mention Jenny Anderson. I, I'm sorry, Matt, I don't mean to put in. Oh, but it, it is a great example in like, it doesn't matter, so to speak, because she, I was telling Matt, she literally got scouted, if you like, t- to come to Honda. It wasn't like she fell into place or sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, n- not just saying um, this, I, I mean this for anyone, you know, certain people, it's who you know, not what you know. It On her side of things, it is what you know. Like, she, she literally was asked you know to we want you to honda it wasn't like you know it was a family relation or a, a business those, those situation. kind of jobs you know what i well. mean it's like you you have to be shit hot at what you're doing yes, all of the time the point, there's no yeah. like walking into a meeting and being like well i read the presentation to myself last night and i think i can kind of bluster through this yeah and yeah, maybe yeah. they're not going to realize like there is zero time for any of that yeah in that <laughs> kind of role like it's just, and she could yeah, have had like it's... the best interview, so to speak, in the world, or you know, the best negotiation. If she didn't do her job to the absolute best, it's the thing. It's like if your first impression is the greatest ever, but you start and you don't know what you're doing, then it's going to last as long as you take to show that you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great, but yeah, little things like that I think are important. I think now especially in the last sort of year and a half, obviously with the pandemic, but then with so many different things. And like social, I don't say social issues as though what's come up is the problem, because what's come up is how to fight the problems and the problems have always been there. Um, But I think like it's really good to be like, hey, we're going to draw this line in the sand and we're going to do all of this perfectly from now on. But that's not the reality of how the world works. And you can't just go, well, this is how it is now. It's like you you can't just take Maria Herrera and be like, congratulations, you're a Monster Energy Yamaha MotoGP rider. Like that, yeah. that's not how these things work on any level, really. Um, so it's important, like how things change are slowly, but it's also easy to get complacent. So you have to constantly push the little things in order to make sure that progress keeps going. And I think things like, Jenny on the podium is a great fairly small gesture because like I said it's not like it's a special prize like people in that will go up on the podium all the time but it's cool to make sure that she does and on the biggest day for the team in like the year probably unless there's some other crazy race coming in the future but I'm fairly sure that would be the greatest day of the Repsol Honda yeah. season given like the whole lore around it and everything <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I know, like you said, um, about as it progresses and we are women being more, you know, represented. I think one of the biggest things is the fact that a lot of the riders are having daughters, because you got people like Maverick, uh, this is Aleish, a one a few weeks ago, there wasn't it with Valentino's yeah. like, oh, yeah, Rossi, yeah, I mean. You never know what they're going to be into, but if, you know, usually like when you see motorsports parents, their kids sort of follow in their paths. I mean, you look at people like Nico Rosberg. Um, oh, crap. Why am I blanking on someone? Oh, Verstappen. God damn. I'm a Red Bull fan. <laughs> that's that's really shame. Uh, but you, you see a lot of the children of sports people. So you're almost like, well, 
you know, even with uh, Valentino retiring, he's still going to be, be owning a team. He's going to be in the paddock. He's going to be around. So, you know, these riders' daughters will see this and hopefully, you know, catch the bug too and be able to, you know, be the next wave pretty much. I think that the, the, that whole Valentino comment as well, I think was such a peak 2021 thing where it's like you can read that two different ways. And mm-hmm. one way you can be immediately rev limiter offended and the other way you can kind of be the opposite. And it's like one of those, it's like everyone take a deep breath. First of all, because this is an Italian language interview and you've used Google Translate. That is not how nuance works when you're going from one language to another. Um, But all of these things, like you can read it as like girls shouldn't race in MotoGP or you can read it as there's a lot less pressure for any children that I have to have to race in MotoGP because there's less pressure on women to do that. That's a super different answer or opinion Mm -hmm. depending on which way you take it. And it's one of those things that's like, okay, everyone take a deep breath. Like, I don't think, like, he's immediately gone around the team and fired every woman at, like, Patronus. It's yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think I think it's important as well, though, because everyone's quite obsessed with, like, women drivers and riders. There was a really interesting interview in with Michelle Mouton in the, on the FIA website a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That an F1 journalist responded to was like basically the headline was Michelle Mouton thinks W Series isn't great, and it's like this is the most male journalist take on this because you've said you've seen everything that she said where it's like this is good but this would be better and you've created a girl fight, mm-hmm. and the headline is actually this is what this incredibly successful former rally driver. <laughs> thinks would be good to encourage women into motorsport and it's not solely the thing that currently exists but all of these things i don't know it's it's because it's not just about drivers and riders it's also about that visibility throughout teams different roles and like i said there's a lot of positives behind the scenes there's a lot of women do a lot of different things mm-hmm. there's a few times every now and then where it's like well why do we need the women in motor gp article not internally from reactions that we get and it's like well because you're asking that question right. you know <laughs> yeah. because in some youtube comments on the podcast people know matt's first and last name and then refer to me as the girl and it's like <laughs> you know because i honestly don't mind sometimes i annoy myself that's completely fine if you think i sound like an idiot just tell me but the way that you've then not used my name. Yeah, that's <laughs> just a lack of respect. There might be that's... an extra reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you're, you they're literally proving the shit. point. Yeah, they're proving the point of like... Exactly. Yeah, that's why and we're it's sitting also here having really this conversation. It's like things where... Because sometimes me and Matt will write a podcast interview together. Sometimes one person will have the main idea of what they want to ask. We'll write some stuff. The other person will add a few things. And I think it was might have been on the Lynn Jarvis podcast, and I'm the person who wrote 90% of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, so you think Matt's questions are great, do you? But the girl is annoying because the girl also wrote a lot of Matt's questions. Right. Because we collaborate on these things. Whoever has time will put it together, word things a certain way. Like, 
it's not like I'm like, here's your script, Matt, and I'm the secret overlord. He's done more for a lot of the podcast stuff recently than me because he's had a little bit more time. But it's like, we're not just sat there and we've not just rocked up to half an hour with Lynn Jarvis, like, oh, I don't know, what shall we ask? And then, <laughs> like, there's been a certain level of preparation. So, yeah, yeah kinda... some, some things like that are like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, kind of linked into that. Um, I wanted to ask, obviously, every every guest that you've had on the podcast is not as if like some of them are sort of filling a space where you're like, oh, we don't know how it's going to be. You've obviously got them on for a reason. So I think more so the question would be better to be worded in a way of like, what guests have you got on and had the expectation like blown away or been really overwhelmed by maybe like how you came away from it and been like wow I didn't expect it to be that in depth or maybe you've come away with like I never saw that side of them do you know what I mean I think maybe again Lynn Jarvis because when he have you you've listened to them I'm guessing to be yeah, asking what made specific me ask. questions yeah. cool yeah. so um because the way he was like yeah, I didn't really like the way the UK was feeling, so I got in my car and left. I'm like, this is literally me. Um, There's, like, so many things that I did not expect to be relatable or to that extent relatable to, like, my personal experience. Um, Because, obviously, like, you know a fair bit about these people. Like, Lynn's always been a super pleasant person to work around and be like, usually, like, can I get you to talk about this for two minutes on camera for this segment that we're putting together those are the kind of interactions that I've had with him previously uh, and to get that opportunity to kind of talk more about him and not just be like what is Yamaha's official stance on XYZ event I think was really mm. cool um, because I think people forget so easily that everyone's a human and it's like you know, some people, you're not going to like them. Some people, you're going to love them. Some people, the person you think they are is probably the opposite. Because, yeah. like, it's such a, you know, it's a strange world. And the smallest things of some people's lives are the bits that get recorded and broadcast everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're, we're not watching a behind-the-scenes documentary in Andorra with Lynn Jarvis doing his winter training. Like, <laughs> it's, like it's nice to get that perspective uh, and I think Pit Barrier was cool as well Pit mm, Barrier was one of my favorites like, yes like we're <laughs> just gonna smash like everyone <laughs> so, I bet you think, never uh, thought going into the Lynn Jarvis one I bet you going in and then coming out and thinking I'm actually quite similar to Lynn Jarvis would have never it was really perception. weird I was like oh no and like it's kind of helped break the ice a little bit as well now like when we're waiting for the Cole Critchlow podcast waiting mm. for Carl to come like they created a strange quite nice little courtyard in their Yamaha offices uh in Aragon was it we recorded that uh, mm -hmm. so we just awkwardly sat like looking like we're just hanging out <laughs> when everyone walking past like why are you here um and just little things like you can now have like a proper joke and be like do you want to come back for part two and it's like a genuine human relationship gets established yeah, because you've had a reason to have that normal human interaction and conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's recorded, obviously. It's not like we just went to the pub, but it's different to the normal, like... You've broke yeah, that so PR barrier, about this sort engine of like... situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get that. Because I know you, uh, I, you guys asked a question on the podcast 
about like what um who you'd want to work for and i yeah I commented i'm like i would want to work for pit byra because like you said after that interview i'm like i'm like i could walk through a wall right now like let's it's go amazing. i can do anything i want it's so infectious it's so infectious mm-hmm. yeah i yeah i really had that feeling from pit and then some things obviously for me being an f1 fan mark weber was a real fun one mm. Um, mm. And also the way that Mark Webber came together, which was literally me and Matt being like, Mark Webber likes bikes, we'll put him on the list. <laughs> and then being like, should we just ask him? And then we just DM'd him and it was organised within about 12 minutes. And it just adds What, you just DM'd him from like your personal Twitter account? From MotoGP. Oh, from MotoGP. He just DM'd him from MotoGP, like, hey, like, do you want to be on the MotoGP podcast? And he's literally like, yes, when? We're like, Thursday at this time, like half an hour, and he's like, "Yep, no problem." I'll be and there. Like, it it just adds to the whole kind of laid back Aussie vibe that he had already, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, it's so yeah. real." <laughs> Even when we've tried to pin you down to talk to us for free, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was a good one. I'm trying to think who else have we even had on the Juan Mir one this week. I enjoyed quite a lot actually because he's quite guarded uh, sometimes, <laughs> and I think it was nice to have a longer conversation. That's a little bit like what I get from Maverick in a way. I don't think they're similar people in a sense of their general personality, but they have a bit of a front that they they kind of protect. I think Maverick's always had that since as long as I've known him like as a figure. He's kind of had this, you know, I'm here to win attitude like that you know, they all have and he's got kind of my way or no way attitude that he had in Suzuki and he had in Yamaha and he now has at Aprilia. But he has got I sort of, I don't know, I feel like every time I listen to Maverick, especially in the last year with what's gone on, you know, internally behind the scenes and whatnot, you kind of want to know what's behind that wall of Maverick. And, you know, people like Joan, I think, have the same thing in that Joan Mir is very helmet on, absolute demon sort of attitude, but he's kind of got a bit of a side to him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's got a side to him where people, a lot of people, don't actually like in the media, and I, I do see it, but I love it. Like I love that he's got that sort of my way or no way attitude because there are some people that will play into the role a little bit. Like take Daniel Ricciardo in F one. Even if he's not your favorite, you can't hate the guy because he plays into yeah, the hands yeah. of the public. Do you know what I mean? It's a little bit mm-hmm. like Brad. You can't hate Brad Binder, whereas Jean Mir, there are people that detest the guy because of like he's got that sort of no i don't care what you think that's me so to sit down in a podcast with him i'm quite intrigued to see what sort of side you get i think it's yeah like it's definitely more about his career than some of the more off-piste ones that we've done but i think you start to understand a little bit more how he ticks and maybe how he's been up to this point from needing to win no family mm-hmm. money, nothing to invest in it. If you want to race next year, you win. And mm-hmm. then if you want to race the year for that, you have to win again. Like all the way basically until getting the VDS Moto2 contract. Um, and even then it's like, well, if you want to go to MotoGP, you have to not win at that point as a Moto2 rookie until that was redefined. Um, podiums and really quick adaptation was impressive and Obviously, then Suzuki got him, but yeah, I think Juan's an interesting person. I think it was, I don't know, I think he's a little bit 
Pedrosa and it's something we brought up very briefly in the podcast where it's like they're very much like a private person yeah Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah like obviously you have to do a certain amount of stuff in the paddock and it's not a bad attitude and not wanting to do more it's just like a very genuine sense of like now my life starts because it's 5 p.m and that's when my agenda ended for the day so now I'm gonna go with my wife and have a barbecue yeah and people are gonna leave me alone and I'm not gonna tweet about it <laughs> the thing um, is I don't, kind of like I don't Vettel to... but Vettel's changed yeah. in his public persona so much recently mm. where it's like people I think like I, I did not give him enough credit for being how great he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel bad about it. I feel very bad about it. And now I'm like, oh damn it! <laughs> Spent so many years being like down with you. Um, <laughs> but he's yeah. It it's just those people who are more private, I think. And yeah, I mean, as long as they don't make your life harder, they have to be your friend. Um, mm-hmm. but I think Maverick, Maverick's um. I don't know. I have a lot of faith in Maverick as a person and a rider, and I hope that everything uh, gets a little bit smoother now. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do kind of stem off of what you've just said with the the agenda ending. I don't, for the life of me, understand other than like just general eagerness. I don't understand the general public perception at times. Granted, at times, and it's very small percentage that kind of view people less who are in the public eye that don't want their life to be 24-7 in the public eye. Because that is, I mean, someone who handles it amazingly, I'm not just going to say it because it's him, but Rossi, in terms of... (laughs) I was like, it's going to be, again, like Daniel Ricciardo, Brad Binder, it's Valentino, like there's some key favourites coming up here. (laughs) No, but it, it is very much like the guy couldn't, step outside his front door without thinking I could be getting watched. I could be having a photo in front of, you know what I mean? Anywhere he stands on any day at any point, he could go drop him in any country. He'll get noticed. Like having that Mm -hmm. agenda to still be like, you know, happy to take photos, happy to sign this, happy to do that. How can you not look at that and go, yeah, I understand. I don't understand why everyone's not like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. being in the paddock, that mm-hmm. there is a lot of like it's full on all day at, at like you know from the minute they get out of the motorhome to the minute they get back in it, and then because they're not carrying it on when they're with the wife or with the family, it's like you know that's rude. And it's like yeah, but is it? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, is that rude? Yeah, or... no, I'm I'm very much like kind of counterproductively given like my job and everything. Like we had a big kind of debate about when Maverick got married as some people in our WhatsApp group was like in secret and I was like mm-hmm. it's not a secret it's just not on his professional athlete social media right. like yeah. he is not like absconded with a woman in the night and driven 200 miles <laughs> to a random chapel like he's had a normal person's wedding yeah. and then sometime after that he's decided to share that on a larger scale mm-hmm. Um. I I don't know I don't post that much because I'm also like like some people I'm like why have you shown me this I'm not like I feel bad if I never watch your story but like what is this like or there'll be like eight <laughs> clips in a row of the same thing and you're like but why 
And I think yeah. people, it's probably a little bit of like age because I'm 32. And I think so I have like a healthy amount of usage of social media to get like the positive stuff. But it's never been something where when I was growing up that it's like, if it's not on social media, it's not real or like the central thing that everyone's interested in. So I don't know, maybe it's that slightly, but I don't know. I mean, I think everyone's just a human and some people will be a certain way on camera and then different off camera. Then a load of people will be like, oh, you're really fake. And it's like, no, because also like think just like self-preservation. Like you can't have that amount of energy 24 hours a day, seven days a week mm-hmm. to be a certain way or something else. And then if you don't give it that extra bit of pep on camera and you've done eight interviews and then on Canal Plus you look really happy at the start and then by the time you've got to Sport TV Portugal, you're like, ugh. Then everyone in Portugal is going to be like, this guy's attitude is so bad. Yeah, yeah. And, right. <laughs> and it's like... But and they've like had to say the same thing maybe... nine times. Yeah, like, it's not and it's like, like they've got yeah, nine different interviews. <laughs> Sport TV will be the first one, and then they'll get the same, like, absolute pep. Like, obviously, they'll get Pepe Miguel every time. But with others, maybe there'll be that potluck element, and whenever it comes up. But I don't know. It's a strange one, I think. It's, it's also a strange one. Now I've done a few of the MetaGP press conferences when, obviously, Steve's doing MetaGP commentary. Mm-hmm. How long it really is when you're just sat there waiting between when they leave the podium and when they arrive for the press conference. And the entire time they've spent talking to people about the race already. And then mm-hmm. you're like, so, yeah. <laughs> talk, to, talk to us about the race. And it's like, I think sometimes the, I don't know, I really respect the amount of energy they have to do all that stuff. And it's an intrinsic part of the job. And this is not some sob story like, oh, no, they spend way too much time doing this. But, you know, it's an impressive amount of investment of energy to Mm -hmm. keep that going. Um, Obviously, adrenaline must help quite a lot. If you're on the podium, you've probably had a fairly good race to talk about. But, um, but yeah, I I think it's all maybe some people you'll get to know really well and you can call them genuine friends. Maybe some people you'll never say more than hello to. It's fine. Everyone's mm-hmm. there to make the thing happen, to create the entertainment in the best and least cynical way, because everyone loves it. Right. Yeah, I know uh, you said about, you know, you, you said you're 32, and, you know, growing up, you didn't have social media a lot. I mean, I'm 31, so I feel the same way a lot. Like, I use Twitter, I use Instagram uh reddit all those but it's like a lot of times like uh earlier this year me and my family went to moto america up in pittsburgh and a lot of the time i was like walking around just looking at everything and it wasn't until later on i'm like oh i didn't post anything i didn't like i took pictures but i wasn't like posting it to instagram i was (laughs) sort of just going through and like taking everything in where a lot of other like you know Bono's generation are like those kids. You know, yeah, damn kids <laughs> on your phones and you know, Snapchatting and all that. No, um, I mean, but like when I was at Silverstone, it's very hard to sort of like interact with people that are like, you know, 
what's it like? What's it like? But at the same time, I'm like, well, I want to know what it's like. So just sort of like, you mm-hmm. know, as much as I want to sort of publish it and share it as a an interactive thing, I do actually want to know what it's like to sit and watch it. I feel it. like you have that good balance then, despite being, yeah. quote unquote, one of the kids. Um, I feel like that's the main thing, isn't it? If you make sure that you're experiencing it first, and then whatever degree you wish to record that to, that on social media or on your phone, whatever, it's like with concerts. Like sometimes yeah. I will record stuff on my phone at a concert, but I make sure that I am never watching it through the phone screen. Right. I'm watching the stage, and if you're just going to hold your phone fairly still, like it's off not to the that... side. It's not that disastrous to not look at it the whole time. But there are so many mm-hmm. people and it's like, dude, like you realize that you've paid however much money you made all this effort to come and experience this incredible thing in person. And then you're watching it through the phone screen as though you're streaming it. Right. Like, no, yeah, I, the I audio is yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. two, I mean, you know two things I mean? on like, that. I try and make sure that like... Yeah. You, you don't want to be seen sitting there like looking through the phone almost like, yeah, this is great. Like you can look at through the phone when you go home. Mm-hmm. Just, watch it with exactly. your own eyes like something. yeah um two things i'm really glad that turning 21 next week i've still been classed as one of the kids so clearly i've got 21 right. that is scandalous compared to us you, you are advanced, but yeah i feel like you'd literally oh you don't know what's coming in life i'm sorry just no, get ready that's just scary <laughs> to even think of but um but like I don't want to go off on a tangent but i'm a drummer so like actually playing gigs and whatnot oh, cool. i i actually I get that perception of I've you know I've been to concerts myself like in the crowd and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But when I play gigs and stuff like that, actually playing and seeing people kind of want to put the phone down is it actually makes you on stage want to interact more because you're like you're you're enjoying the actual moment. You're not just sort of hey guys look at this. So like when you're yeah, on that I side of the that. fence, you're like put it down, <laughs> watch the actual show. Like we put the effort in, you put the effort in don't make this a, an invisible wall <laughs> of like the phones here yeah. now. So I don't really care. Like I just, yeah. No, I feel that. Like that's cool. I, I rented drums once for a week and I got <laughs> as far as playing the, the fill from wild side when it like kicks back uh, in near the end. Yep. Cause I was like Tommy Lee forever. Um, and I just drove my mum mad. I must've been like 16, 17. Like drove my mum mad for like a week just playing that fill. And then yeah. I was like, okay, I'll take the drum kit back now. That's okay, probably I play why... guitar and, and sing. And it is like, it's a mm. weird thing as I struggle more with that. Like now I've done a few more different things in my GP, like in the VIP village, like take a rider, talk to the crowd. I did mm-hmm. want my crowning glory was the Moto E Italian guys in Mizano. And I managed to do it all in Italian. And he only had a couple oh, of moments wow. where I was like, help me, Matteo, help me. <laughs> but like now I can just about deal with that and it feels more normal and I feel like I'm I know what I'm talking about to a sensible degree to feel like yes I'm here I've brought these people what do you want to know I'll ask them some questions all good but then with playing guitar and singing like last year in Austria there was a piano in the bar of our hotel and we ended up there a couple of times and I was playing and singing to what I thought was five people and then I was fine and then when I stopped oh, no. and I realized there's like 
everyone in the lobby. The whole lobby. Beside her, and there's like 35 more people. I'm like, now I can't do it. <laughs> like, I literally can't mm-hmm. do it again. I was like, just about comfortable enough with who was in the room right. and how many people were in the room to like sing like I was alone in my room. <laughs> and then you're like, oh shit. <laughs> like, no, go away, go away. But it's yeah. also a really cool thing when you see that and it's like, oh my God, I've actually grabbed these people's attention mm-hmm. to like actually be in this moment. Yeah, like, it's a very feel good factor. Yeah. About it, but it's super cool. It's like, oh no, my God. I know what you mean. Like, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing, like, definitely. But drumming's also cool. One, one day I'll get there. Well, that's probably why I'm as far away in, in terms of geographical status from home in Derbyshire. That's probably why I'm <laughs> as far away as possible. My yeah, they're just like, no, get driven away, mad. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, no, I, I do feel that. Yeah. That's, I, uh, I play bass and guitar, so. Uh, so we're all musicians. It's easier to not yeah. annoy yeah. everyone, right? Yeah. Bass and guitar. Like, you can easily, if you choose to, absolutely crank it. But there is a way to be a little bit more, you know, low key. I don't have a choice. But the drumming is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. For everyone hey, listening, Matt's just showing his warm guitar. I have, so. I have no guitars yeah. to show, I'm afraid. There's a Les Paul on the other side of the house. I'm like, I'm serious about it. I'm, I'm genuinely, <laughs> like... <laughs> Well, no, yeah, go. it's it's a weird thing with that that kind of being present. I think mm-hmm. I can completely understand how someone like Sebastian Vettel, zero social media. I understand why you get some writers like Danny Pedrosa, where there's some social media. There's like the classic mm-hmm. post. It's also an important thing for sponsors or your manufacturer or whatever to like have that presence. And again, not in a cynical way. Like it's good. It's nice to have an extra outlet for cool pictures and videos on the internet it's it's like yeah. it doesn't have to be like oh well this brand made me post this it's like yeah and it's a really right. cool photo so that's still a good thing yeah um but i also like how you'll just get like 18 months of radio silence and then they'll just be the most mm-hmm. random thing <laughs> it's like, yeah hope you enjoyed that um and then also sometimes it's great when you get people who'll just post random stuff all the time and you're just like, okay, yeah, we're just on to this ride. And if you do make it to like MetaGP in five years, you're going to be like, oh no, <laughs> why did I post all of that? <laughs> yeah, you are very much yeah. hands tied, aren't you? As as years go on nowadays, it's like, yeah. and, and I'm not like advocating posting things that are not to a certain <laughs> degree, you know, moral or anything like that, but it's just like no, you can't show yourself in a bad light and a bad light being away from what people want to see when you do make it like you have to be exactly sort of mm-hmm. a certain mold from the off now yeah i think but i think some people like jack's a good jack's a good example um mm-hmm. of like you know you don't have to be boring um to also have you know great results, happy team, happy manufacturer, happy teammate at a time when that's, you know, what's kind of required of you in the situation. Um, Because I think I don't, I'm not a fan of the whole, like, to call out an older example so as not to offend one of our podcast guests, uh, the Jack Villeneuve kind of just setting fires everywhere and watching it burn just to be excessive. It's like, that gets too much too, you know? Um. 
but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be an interesting question, I think, for the future of everything, social media and how open you are mm-hmm. and everything like that. And so uh, one of the things we want to get on to before we end this, because I know it's getting late for you guys over there. Uh, you mentioned earlier about a uh, documentary about Lynn Jarvis. Well, MotoGP is getting a documentary. So being that you're in the media, do you know anything? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know anything? Um, You know, can you give us any leaks? But more importantly, do you think this will have a similar effect that Drive to Survive has had with F1? I can't speak to the effect. Um, I'm not sure because... yeah, we'll have to see. We don't know exactly what the end product's going to look like. Um, but I think it's going to be a hugely positive thing because, like I said, everybody is human. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, you get such a... It's not like a one-dimensional thing because it's not boring, but you have a very limited view um, of all of the people in the paddock, everything that goes into each win or loss or moment um, and all of the riders and stuff and I think it's it's always going to be a positive to show more of that um, mm-hmm. without yeah it needing to be like yeah you need to go home and you need to post two hours of content from your barbecue it's a very natural way to see that behind the scenes kind of more three-dimensional shape of everything because it is still when you are in the paddock quote-unquote at work um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> still in the same environment so I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's like it's it's also going to be really interesting where it's like, is my behind the scenes view the same one as they're filming? Because right. there's also plenty of scenes that I'm not behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's gonna it's gonna be a very interesting thing to see, I think. But I think it can only be positive because I can't really think of anyone who's awful. And there are so many people where. A huge load of fans on whatever side of the fence will think that people are awful. And it's Mm -hmm. like, no, really, no one. (laughs) No one is like, you're walking through the paddock and you're like, oh, God, no. Mm. Um, But there's so much (laughs) tribal stuff. I think it would be great to get a more rounded picture of a lot of people. And especially, yeah, those riders who are a little bit more reticent, like Juan Mir, just naturally a more private person to be able to see more of who he is without needing to ask too much of him. Because that's why I don't like that feeling of like invading privacy because it's better for the product. But that's not what you need to do with series like this. It's just allowing more access to stuff that's happening anyway. Yeah, that Um, that was what I was going to say is is very much like, I, I don't want to be, you know, in Joanne's like motorhome for 20 minutes of this drive to survive whatever they're going to call it for gp i just want to see like you've said i want to see more access in something that would be normal to access like the normal person in the suzuki team would know do you know what i mean i don't want to exactly yeah like i don't want to know what goes on yeah i don't want to know the ins and outs of someone's life like that's their life i wouldn't want somebody here now filming me doing something I'm doing in my own yeah, right? life. Like, I don't mm. want that. I don't want that at I all, Honestly, so. I get, like, just with, like, fans waiting outside Valentina's motorhome in the paddock, when I walk past, I'm, like, naturally, like, oh, God. And it's, like, it's not me. 
it's just like by proxy like imagine you just open the door and there's like 50 people like yeah like, yeah. like oh my god i mean he's it? obviously so used to it but like that is again yeah. though it, it is surreal it's like what i said earlier in that he could open his front door at home he could get out of a car in any country in any parking space in the world the guy will have somebody that goes oh my god oh my god oh my god and it's like imagine <laughs> him doing that is like for us in that if he opened a, a car door a front door or whatever and him being like oh there's no one there that's like what we think in that how weird it must be to have the other side where he doesn't know yeah, that now. Exactly. Like he's not had that for years he you know this is i'd be interested to know like a little bit in the future obviously with the covid protocol there have been none of those fans certainly the whole of 2020 not a single one uh this mm-hmm. year at some events a few more when like marshals have maybe waited uh people who have a super legit reason to be at the event but then also are like oh maybe i could also get my cap signed um mm-hmm. i'd be interested to know like what that experience has been like because like you said like at the center of such a tornado of attention for so long in the sport and then um, i don't know like being who i am like i said like a more private person i'd be like oh what an amazing relief like you get the, to experience doing a grand prix weekend without anyone coming and screaming at you but then mm-hmm. maybe it's sad because that's such an emblematic part of what he's done for the sport and who he is when he's in the paddock. He, it's like it's hard to tell, um, like which way to read it from like the individual perspective. But it must be certainly quite a strange experience to have gone from yeah, just like incredible levels of super rock star still being that level of rock star it's just that now everyone allowed within a half mile radius of you is also there to just do their job and mm. their level of interest yeah. is a purely normal human one of being like hello <laughs> it's yeah it's like, like it's like it taking you an hour and a half to get to work every day with traffic knowing it's going to be there and then all of a sudden for one week there's no one on the road you'd be like <laughs> like, what, is what the hell is going on yeah. like, you don't know whether you like it or whether you don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I don't know it's, it's an interesting one but yeah I think I feel like I took that off on a massive tangent I can't remember the original question <laughs> no I mean it, it I suppose it is all kind of intertwined with last year oh, the, I guess the with, series, with, the, with series. the series thing yeah. and whatnot obviously it's coming out of that season into this um Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to it, but at the same time, I like I said, kind of linked to what you were saying, Fran, in that I don't think I see anybody as a bad guy in the paddock, and obviously you know more than we do because you see them maybe when the camera's not on them and you still have that opinion. But I don't, I really, I mean, I don't think they'll have the access to it even if they wanted to, but I, I envy the people, well, not envy, I absolutely despise the people that... Um, <laughs> that kind of see it as a, why are we not in the living room? Why are we not like, you know, I don't, right. that's not, that's not what the, the point is to see, you know, yeah, the no. flip like, side in the cool paddock. See, not... It's cool to see those moments every now and then when someone chooses to give them to you. Um, But yeah, like I'm not the kind of reality TV kind of person, yeah, but that's what yeah, I think, yeah. like Drive to Survive, I've not even seen it all, uh, which is probably a surprise and I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I will do it at some yeah. point. I'll catch up. Um, but I think that's what. Obviously, it's not. 
you're not going to get the exact same narrative as you would probably have seen as a fan of like however many years mm-hmm. you're going to get a little bit of an extra bit of sheen on stuff some things will hit the cutting room floor some things will get left in um again not in a cynical way just because that's making just a better story yeah um yeah. and obviously all of it is real footage so you know that happened um so i don't know it's I think they did quite a good job with that of it not feeling too like voyeuristic in that way. And it's just, it is like a behind the scenes vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it can be so important because I think it, it just frustrates me that everyone doesn't love MotoGP because it's like, yes. but have you seen it though? <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like with some people when they dislike a certain rider or team, it's like, but no, you're so wrong. <laughs> um because it's just yeah it's great and being on the inside like I said it's made me such a neutral fan of it but in the best way where I care about the sport more than I ever did before I worked here but not for that one rider or that one team or anything else it's also like yeah I want to see these figures get bigger than ever for like the viewers of this thing and I want to like make sure that more and more people are getting like all of our updates and everything else and like genuinely see it grow because yeah it's not like there's some slimy marketing PR meeting where we're like we're gonna take this direction and we're gonna hoodwink everybody it's like no it's one of those really rare things where the product is gold it's so good and it's just like making people see that and Mm -hmm. people who won't be convinced by i need five minutes of your time to watch this video because it's so it's such a massive competition for attention online now especially like if you've not grabbed someone in like 15 seconds you're not going to i'm guilty of that as well like the longest video i've watched on the internet this month is still that video of that tiny horse slipping over because I love it so much. I just watch it on a repeat loop. I can't tell you. Like, I, I literally texted, like, 12 different people to be like, have you seen this horse? Um, and that's how it is. Like, everything's reels and Snapchat and super quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really difficult to compete for attention, but I think it's great when you know, like, you don't need any dramatization of the Austrian Grand Prix. It was yeah. the most amazingly ridiculous thing that ever happened. But you just yeah. need to convince people to give you just long enough to show them why. Um, so, yeah, I hope the series and the behind the scenes kind of extra element explaining how they end up on track and doing what they do will will just add to it. Yeah. And I, I about the at home stuff, it's it's nice to see a good balance where it's like you might see you know, a little snippet of like them with their family or, you know, like um, I know in one of the seasons of drive to survive, you saw uh, Christian Horner with his wife and kids and having breakfast and stuff. But it was like, it was a moment. And then it like, you moved on. You're like, okay, so we do get to see them at home with their wife and the kids. And, you know, you get, uh, I think Carlos signs, there was one where his whole family was eating dinner, but then it's like, it's like you want to see that, but you also want to see them back on the track, ha- yeah, behind the scenes sure. stuff. So it's it's you want to try to find that good balance between the two. You don't want all of the home and 
none of the track or none of the track or yeah, all of the track and none of the home. Um, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I just hope they don't make it like as dramatized, but like you said, there's not really like a villain. Like I think in season one of driver survive, they really like tried to make Verstappen into like this bad guy. You know, he's this cocky kid coming in, forcing his way through where with MotoGP, there really isn't like, who are you going to villainize in a season? Cause I mean, they've did it with, well, even with Pierre Gasly, they did it with Gasly where they villainized Red Bull for bringing him up, them shooting him back down and bringing Albon up. And it was like, Oh, Albon's a replacement. It's like, we don't really have any of that here. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Actually, hopefully that will make a more kind of, yeah a more genuine view of it from the off like there's less of those things to kind of run with and then maybe slightly dramatize what's the what's the word I can't think of the word I'm tired I'm like oh my English is failing me but yeah it's like hopefully yeah there's nothing off the top of our heads but maybe that's the the evil of the studio to find that thing Mm -hmm. and uh, create it (laughs) but no I think that's not kind of the intention at all I think F1 it's easier to create that I think in some ways um, Mm -hmm. because there's been such as I mean there have been obviously brutal rivalries in MotoGP but they've also always just like sat in the press conference and just like yelled at each other Mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's on camera anyway because like with like Danny Pedrosa sits in the middle quietly celebrating his win and then everyone around him yells. Runs, like that's yeah. that's the tradition. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so I don't know. It's interesting, like how it will kind of come out in terms of that stuff. But yeah, I think the main thing is just to show the people behind the spectacle and also why it is like how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I saw the first document for it, some of the people they're focusing on, I think, should be quite interesting. It's not just like we're going to record every single thing behind the scenes in the paddock, then we're going to pick the bits where people were angry, sad, happy or laughing, and we're going to chop them together into a story. There's like a genuine sort of, okay, this person is relevant to the audience because of this, this and this. These are the other people that will often be around them that will be added to their kind of arc as important context for who they are as well. Um, hmm. so I think it should be should be good. I'm there you excited. have it. We got a little bit of a scoop from Fran. About, better than we got from <laughs> yeah, Matt. Like, Matt was literally like, I cannot, I don't know anything. Oh, no. To be fair, yeah. Matt, Matt was like, I've tried, guys, but I just can't get anything out of them. So, you know, I mean, it was a lot earlier in the season with Matt. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. Matt, Matt didn't budge. Oh, I've, seen, I've seen all of the stuff. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen the original pitch for the show. Um. But I don't think I've given anything away. Um, no. Officially, we've not announced that there is one. But of course, they're everywhere. They've been talked about in mm-hmm. many different <laughs> sources. So you know that they're, they're there. Yeah, we've seen the crews. Um, Every, everybody exactly. speculated on like <laughs> MotoGP Reddit and stuff like that. <laughs> so yeah, so, hopefully uh, um, soon there's going to be like a, a more official confirmation of exactly what it will be, when it will be. Um but yeah, it's, it's an exciting thing to show a GP off like they haven't done before. And when mm-hmm. you look at how far it's gone from like sort of even just 10 years ago to now, 
it's unbelievable the stuff that we're making what we're able to show um graphics on boards the stuff on metagp.com like it's just crazy compared to yeah like 10 years ago when you go back and it's like okay so i can watch the full race I can watch the press conference and i can watch like 35 second interviews and they're all good but just the level of like going from Detail. that to like a full production of so many different things, and yeah, then the yeah. cherry on top of yeah, the kind of production of a full series is going to be great. Yeah. So uh, to wrap up the show, uh, uh, going to play off of something that Matt Dunn did. He gave us a piece oh, no. of advice for the podcast. What advice would you give us? Ooh. Talk less than I have talked at you during this show mm-hmm. yep. um <laughs> but no i don't know i think that's a difficult one that is a very on the spot question i guess but it is a very on the spot question i will insert um... elevator jazz music whilst we sit <laughs> <laughs> yeah like what am i gonna say i think just um Oh, God. I can feel the pressure. It's even worse now. I can hear the beat. Oh, oh God. That's no, fine. I'm, like, really struggling to get past be true to yourself. But that's yeah, like no, amazing. honestly. That we've, works. We've done, a, <laughs> we've done a segment on here before where Matt's asked me. He's given me three clues on a, on a wild card Japanese rider from the <laughs> 1980s and gone, oh. guess, guess. And I'm okay, like... Okay, that's what's going to be it. Make sure that instead of trying to think like who is going to like this or what should we do regarding this or this the most important thing I think you can do in anything is communicate your passion for it so if there's one topic where everyone's like "Mm, but we should talk about it no don't I think is the thing because I think that always shows um yeah that if you're not truly yeah like if you're not truly into something like yeah it's gonna be fine like Obviously, there's plenty of things that I write where I'm like, this is not my greatest passion. Um, right. Like, it's a commercial contract that I'm trying to communicate in the best possible way that I can. Um, mm-hmm. But then my general passion is that I want this to be the best it can. So, right. like, you compensate with that. But with you guys, you have the freedom. It's your show. So if something interests you and it's, like, your favorite thing, run with it. Because that will definitely come across to people who are going to listen to it. Because they're going to be fans anyway. They're going to listen. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a familiar ear. <laughs> so basically then, the next show that we're doing that, I've decided we're going to do the celebration of Fabio winning the World Championship. Because that's what I'm passionate about. <laughs> right. No, go. we're going to be when talking you, about how he... When are releasing that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be talking about how he crashes out at Mizano and you have a heart attack. <laughs> That's not good. I, I take it you're quite invested in Mr. Quattro <laughs> then, yes? <laughs> I have I have been for quite a while because when Fabio came into the championship in 2015, he was the closest to me in age because obviously he got the Junior World Championship, like, yeah. you know, get out of jail free card sort of thing. And from that moment, I mean, I'd have been like 14 then or something. Um, I was very much like, because he's my age, like closest to me, I'd That's love to see him do well. You're so young right now. Yeah, and I remember tweeting about him. I would look through like my old Twitter account when he got the sign into like <laughs> Moto Two when he got to Ponds, and I was like, "I'm so happy for him and everything and all this." Like, talk, 
basically targeted myself at like 16 <laughs> years old on Twitter. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then I like look back and then people obviously now, obviously he gains a lot of fans with him being the leader in, leader of the world championship. But even people like Bastianini and whatnot, that I, I adore them so much because I remember watching them as, you know, literally yeah. like teenagers. And you see Bastianini now and people are like, like that, oh my God. There. And it's like, I have that attachment to them of, I've watched them from <laughs> day dot and seen them come through. Like that's what I yeah, genuinely I take that. a lot of joy in seeing that. Like, yeah. This, this is the thing. Like, I think the first MotoGP press conference that I did, I think it was decided like five minutes before, and I was like, okay. And I can't remember. Might have been Maverick at Silverstone. Could it have been then? Really? That seems like a long time ago. What year are we talking? Two thousand. You only twenty one and sixteen. Yeah, I don't think it kind of been 16, though, because that was, like, my first event with MotoGP where I travelled, and there's no way I would have been doing the press conference. But there was one of them, and certainly the three riders who were in there were, like, the biggest, most established guys. And, like, having not been there that long, never done this before, like, I know what you do, like, I've watched Steve do it before, not a hard task per se, like, you're, like, welcome to, name event, these are the people, fairly simple starter questions about the event, questions on the floor for anything more detailed. It's not a particularly difficult thing, but when <laughs> it's like the crazy, like genuine legends where it's like, oh my God, like you're like actually these riders and I'm actually asking these questions in this situation. <laughs> but then compared to like, yeah, like in Silverstone, and it's like people where you've been around them for ages before they were met at GP. And it's just like, like Fabio walks in and he's like, oh, when he sees it's me, not Steve. And like, because <laughs> it, it's like, you've already been there coexisting in this space for like yeah. four or five years, whatever. It's right. just a much more normal thing. And it's like, now I'm much more conscious of like, who is listening, who might think that my question is stupid. And there's no like, oh, any of these three individuals are going to be prickly because I've worded it wrong. Because everyone's like, <laughs> not a friendly face, like, let's go out for a meal. But everyone knows each other enough and you feel like relatively comfortable. But right. yeah, it's, um, it's funny how quickly Fabio has gone as well. Yeah, uh, that's, that was <laughs> what it was for um, me. It was simply because being a massive Yamaha fan and seeing that he went into Patronus, I was like, Obviously, because of the journey, very, very happy got into GP, but at the time... Oh, I love it. I love it when you happens. get someone with such a pure, like, no, this is my guy. But yeah. in, like, the best way, where it's not like, screw everyone else. It's like, no, this one is special to me. No, no, for <laughs> like, sure. Like, and, and, and no, A lot of people would see no. it as bandwagoning, but I, Matt can vouch for me. That <laughs> I, or I we... you know, yeah. I've already looked into if we can get one of the WTF one. I'm not a fanboy, just passionate shirts in monster Yamaha blue. Because <laughs> I, I think it, Bono would wear it every day. But I would, I would happily take the fanboy thing on because, you know, I, I remember sitting That's there at like 15, 14 and watching him. If you go on YouTube, you can watch him like going around all the, the Spanish circuit of circuits. Like, you know, when he 
raced at like because he, he moved to Spain, didn't he, as a as a kid? Yeah, yeah. With his dad That's why not. he's he's so fluent. He's like yeah, a yeah, 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 ridiculously good. <laughs> um, and he's just blitzing all these other kids, and he's like three years younger than them. And I just I don't know I don't know what it was, just you know really took to, and obviously when he was replacing Rossi, it wasn't like okay Rossi's gone away because. Rossi to me is God, do you know what I mean? But with, Fab- with, with <laughs> I like Fabio, how matter of fact you are. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's just that's how it is. But with Fabio, it was like it felt right to me that that was the guy that sort of took the reign of Rossi's, you know, Rossi's seat, and now he's leading the championship of GP, and everyone's like, "Yes, Fabio," and I'm like, "He's my child. Leave him alone. <laughs> you leave him alone. <laughs> You're the bandwagon fans." <laughs> Yeah, but, but all yeah, so, Fabio yeah. is great. So yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, Fran. So we wanted to say thank you very much for coming on and giving You're us your welcome. time. Uh, we hope you'll come back and you know have fun with us again. Um, Anytime. Just yeah, please so... don't promo this episode with spoilers <laughs> about the series. No. We can leave that in. But don't make it your main selling point. <laughs> no. Because then everyone will listen to it and everyone will be like, you can't tell them that. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to throw you under the yeah. bus just yet. Like, yeah, no. just like give it a while at least. Yeah. <laughs> Lull me yeah. into fault with the security. <laughs> yeah, so with that, keep the throttle pinned. <laughs>